0: PMI data that we had, factory activity last month grew at the slowest pace since February 2020. Is this another sign that uh, the economy is peaking?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the uh, uh, the, De- the Delta uh, variant is really slowing down the global economy. And I think it's possible the third quarter, the, the world economy may contract. And Chinese economy is driven by export and property, mm. uh, the two sectors. So, obviously, uh, uh, the economy will slow down during the third quarter until the the, uh,
2: the pandemic co- uh, eases off again.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Andy. It's always good to talk to you. That's independence on economist Andy Shee. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the Asian markets, on the first day of trading for a new month, uh, it's all looking pretty good at the moment. The S X two hundred up one point one percent. The Nikkei two two five in Japan is up one and third percent. Futures markets indicating a gain of about zero point four percent for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. In the commodities markets, though, Brent crude oil is slipping down about half a percent at seventy four dollars ninety six cents a barrel. Uh, Gold is trading at $1,815 an ounce do please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock i'll be back for a money talk back chats coming up very shortly with danny gittings and Michael uh, mike rouse let me give you an update on the weather forecast for to, uh, for today if i can find it uh going to be sunny intervals with a few showers hot with a maximum temperature of around 32 degrees isolated thunderstorms later and uh the temperature right now 29 degrees 85 percent relative humidity Coming up to 8.32, Susan Lavender has the half-hour news.
2: The man leading America's anti-COVID effort says he doesn't expect any return to lockdowns despite the growing risk of COVID-19 infections posed by the Delta variant. Dr Anthony Fauci said a sufficient proportion of the population was now vaccinated to prevent the US getting into the situation it was in last winter, but he warned things would get worse.
3: We're looking to some pain and suffering in the future because we're seeing the cases go up. Which is the reason why we keep saying over and over again, the solution to this is get vaccinated and this would not be happening.
2: U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the final text for President Biden's trillion-dollar infrastructure bill will be ready imminently for the start of voting on amendments. Senators held a highly unusual Sunday sitting to finish drafting the complex legislation, which has broad bipartisan support, though Democrats and Republicans differ on how to pay for it. Democrat Joseph Manchin told American TV the wording of the bill was very nearly complete.
4: It's 99 and 9 tenths finished. They're drafting it. The text will be done. Hopefully we'll introduce it today. We'll vote on it tonight. We'll start amendment process hopefully on Monday. If not, but we want to be done by Thursday. We want to move on, okay?
2: The Czech Republic and Poland have offered to help a Belarusian sprinter who was ordered home from the Tokyo Olympics by her country's Olympic officials. Kristina Tsimanoskaya is under Japanese police protection. The Czech foreign minister has said his government was offering her a visa so she could apply for international protection there. Tsimanoskaya has said she believes she's now safe. The U.S. and Britain say they believe Iran was responsible for an attack on an Israeli-operated tanker off the Omani coast in which two people were killed on Thursday. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said the U.S. was working with its partners to consider the next steps. The BBC's Paul Adams has more.
0: The truth is, Iran and Israel are engaged in an undeclared shadow war, with each side attacking the other's shipping. Israel is doing what it can to thwart Iranian support for regional proxies in Lebanon, Syria and Yemen. Even though no one has admitted carrying out the latest attack, some reports suggest it may have been launched in response to a recent Israeli airstrike in Syria on bases used by units of Iran's Revolutionary Guards.
2: The weather will be sunny with showers, maximum temperature of 32 degrees, isolated thunderstorms and the um, weather now is 29 degrees with humidity at 84%. The news from RTHK.
5: Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. You're all set to go. On today's Backchat, after Hong Kong's first national security law ends in a nine-year jail term, what does this case tell us about how the national security law is likely to be enforced going forward? Critics say the sentence imposed on Tong Ying Kit for riding a motorcycle past police lines carrying one of the most popular slogans from the 2019 protests – may pave the way for even longer prison sentences for some of the others currently awaiting trial on national security charges. But one Beijing scholar said the sentence was rather lenient and the government has furiously rejected foreign criticism of the court verdict. Meanwhile, Article 23 legislation seems to be moving up the agenda after Minister for Public Security Zhao Kezhe told Secretary for Justice Theresa Chung that Hong Kong should prioritize enacting more national security legislation and also press ahead with judicial reform. So what should we make of these latest developments? Email us at backchat at That's backchat at Or you can go to our Facebook message, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a message there. Or call us on 233 Later in the show, we'll be talking to a swimming teammate of Siobhan Hawhey about her Olympic success. Our guest in the first segment of the show, uh, Professor Ho-Lok-Sang, who's the director of the Pan Su-Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And also joining us is Carol Peterson. Carol Peterson is the professor of law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and former director of the uh, Center of uh, Comparative and Public Law at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, um, Professor Professor Ho. Let's, let's go to you first. What, what, what did you make of the, uh, the verdict last week? I mean, some people are saying it's a very, very heavy prison sentence.
4: I remember that the defense lawyer had pleaded a sentence of uh, three to ten years, and he said that it would be, he hoped it would be lenient, and he set the range at three to to, to ten years. Now, it's nine years is within that range, and I think uh, as far as the defense lawyers is concerned, uh, it's not too harsh. Uh, but, uh, uh, of course, as a Hong Konger, I would have hoped that it would be, Somewhat more lenient, uh, but uh, I think it's important to send a message that this is something that has to, uh, is not tolerated in local society.
6: Of course, we we did, we said in the intro warning professor that he r- rode past police lines, but in fact, on the last occasion, I think he went through three. I mean, he s- tried places. to
5: ride past them, didn't he? But in the on the fourth occasion, <laughs> yes.
6: yes, at a different location, he hit, he hit them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and right, they were injured. Right. So I guess that's got to weigh on the judge's minds. Yeah, yeah, I I
4: I can understand that, but uh, I was hoping that uh, uh, just in the beginning, maybe um, hoping that people wouldn't tread the line again. You know, you see, because, yes. Uh, 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 I I had wished it would be a warning more than the uh, sentence as stiff. You know, it's a it's a young man, twenty-four, and. Uh, I had hoped that he would have a right. a, a, a better future.
6: Yeah. He, even with good time off for good behavior, he's still looking yeah. at a solid six years yeah. uh, in jail. Um, do you th- is he going to appeal against the sentence? Do you think?
4: Uh, from what I gather, it seems to be unlikely. Uh, at least, you know, from the defense lawyer's point of view, he he was not hopeful that it would be.
5: Uh, 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 better than that. Let, let, let me bring in an email. Uh, hold on, a second. it's just coming from Tom. It says uh, for the individual involved, the conviction of an emotionally troubled Leon Tong, Tong who was uh, taunting the police on a motorcycle in July 2020, well after the end of the 2019 protests, seems wildly harsh. But after the suicide attack in Causeway Bay, perhaps a strong deterrent is needed to save the lives of others who might be considering similar self-destructive acts. And if no one else has, I'd like to bring up the point that if Leon was an American citizen who drove his motorcycle into a group of police in New York, he'd obviously be shot dead in a hail of gunfire and the world media wouldn't be writing sympathetic essays about his actions. Um, Some people, I mean, we had at least one mainland scholar, as I mentioned, who said that the sentence was really rather lenient.
4: Uh, From the mainland point of view, I think definitely. uh, I have seen, for example, this this, uh, um, uh, capitalist, you know, entrepreneur who was sentenced to how many years? 18. 18 years. You see, that was really quite shocking to me. So I think sentences on the mainland are much harsher than that in Hong Kong.
5: And realistically, if uh, someone gets nine years for just riding a, a motorcycle um, uh, with a slogan on the back, which does um, do some... uh it as the court- just that, you know. <laughs> well, and it does do some... But the court itself said those were not really serious injuries to police officers. Um, people who are, are... Other people who are facing national security charges and are accused of various conspiracies and so on, if they're found guilty, you realistically, you can expect them to face much longer prison sentences than that
4: actually he he could have killed a policeman you know it would be very dangerous you know he was
6: it's a big he, motorbike
4: yeah it's very dangerous and as was uh, mentioned by this uh, um, um, audience uh he could have been killed you know if it had happened in america
5: so do we take that line and then say well he's lucky to get off with nine years uh, because you seem I at the think, beginning uh, you seem quite sympathetic, um, saying actually, that
4: actually, actually, um, um, I think in Hong Kong's context it's actually pretty reasonable. But uh, of course, I I hope that he would take it as a warning, and other people would take it as a warning and wouldn't do it that that sort of thing. You know, you know, because it's really important for um, for for China, you know, to continue with its political system, which has proved to work so well in over the last 40, 40 years. It's for the entire world to see, and if you want to sabotage it, it's uh, really a crime against, uh, against the nation.
5: Well, the judges did refer to that, didn't they? They said that right. any, anybody who uh, is, is, is involved in any kind of uh, successionist activities, uh, that you need a strong deterrent yeah. effect um, to it, send a message yes. to other people.
4: Yes, I want to distinguish uh, between political dissent and uh, sabotaging an important infrastructure you see if it's uh, a a, a, if if china were a kind of uh, multi-party kind of political system and if uh, the ruling party um, tries to suppress uh, any competition from other parties i think that would be of course uh, um, a suppression of dissent but in china system uh, it's a one-party system and actually people compete for power um, fairly, you know, according to the uh, Chinese system. So it's people who have a good track record of performance who can get promoted to the top. And the leadership is actually, um, there's transition of leadership and I I don't uh, agree with uh, the impression of many Western commentators that uh, uh, there's no p- uh, lawful transition of, right. of the leadership,
6: Professor. Oh, you seem to be describing the situation <laughs> in Singapore
4: okay. as well as Beijing. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, more or less, more or less. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but in Singapore, in, in Singapore, in Singapore, actually, at, at least superficially, there's a competition among parties yes. you know, for, for for power. In, in China, it's a one-party system, and people people can join the. You know, if you are not. Pleased with the with the policies that you can you can join the, uh, 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 the the communist party and then based on your own performance you can gradually win the uh, trust of other people and then you can climb
5: to the top perhaps you'd like to respond to uh, one more comment from a listener before you go professor ho um marie says how about the policeman who rode his motorcycle into a group of protesters any consequence for him of course the police announced that he had received um i think appropriate um appropriate guidance well no they didn't even say discipline appropriate guidance uh uh, professor ho that i mean that some people as our listener is is suggesting there they they feel there's a slight element of double standards here
4: was he taken to task? Was he um, um, brought to court? No. He was, right?
5: No, he wasn't brought to court. Uh, they, he wasn't the, brought to court. The, the, the police say he's been given appropriate guidance. Mm. Um,
4: yes, I would, I, I would have agreed. You know, I would agree that he, 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 it would be better if he had been brought to court and, and uh, judged accordingly. Subject, subject to the judgment of the court. I, I, I still have a trust of, the, uh, of Hong Kong courts.
5: Okay, thank you very much. That was uh, Professor Holock Sang at uh, Lingnan University. Also with us is uh, Carol, Professor Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and former Director of the Center of Comparative and Public Law at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, professor Peterson, uh, good morning, or I think it's good afternoon where you are. Um, what, what did you make of the Tongyin Kit you. verdict and sentence?
1: I have to say, I'm very concerned about it, and I think it's important that we separate um, what Mr. Tong did because he was not charged, he didn't receive nine years for dangerous driving. If he had, it would be fair to analyze it from that point of view. And I certainly agree that he should bear criminal responsibility if he deliberately drove his motorcycle into a group of police officers. Seems to me that there is some question of whether he did it deliberately or whether he was distracted and accidentally did it, but there's no question he was driving recklessly, and he deserved responsibility, I think, criminal responsibility I, for hurting people in that matter. But I think it's very important to note that the court said it would sentence him to six and a half years simply for incitement to secession, And that is an offense that doesn't require violent activities. And I am very concerned by that portion of the reasons for the verdict because the court, when it analyzed the elements of the offense under Article 21 and also the elements of what is secession under Article 20, the court did not consider the ICCPR, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, at all. It did not consider whether it needed to interpret articles 20 and 21 in a manner that complies with the IPCCR and that really surprises me because article 4 of the national security law states unequivocally that Hong Kong residents continue to enjoy the rights protected under the basic law and under the IPCCR. And my interpretation of the court of final decision in the Jimmy Lai bail application was that to the extent there is room for interpretation, if there is some ambiguity in the NSL, the court should strive to interpret and apply it in a manner that complies with the ICCCR. So why is it that in the portion of the reasons for the verdict, we do not see the ICCCR mentioned even once, We do not see any discussion of freedom of expression. We do not see any discussion of the Johannes principles, which are soft law principles that are supposed to guide courts on the relationship between freedom of expression and legitimate. out of sense.
5: For those not familiar, of course, the ICCPR, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the International Human Is, Rights Treaty incorporated into, or most parts incorporated into the basic law.
6: Mike. Is that something that the Defence Council, you think, should have made more of?
1: where possible with Means, it should have tried to make more of an effort to think about the free speech concerns and to give the incitement to secession an interpretation that complies with the ICCPR. It seems to me the court has a duty to do that.
5: Professor Beecham. The other
1: thing that concerns me about this case is the way the court approached the terrorism count. Because the court acknowledges that the NFL expressly requires the prosecution to prove that the alleged terrorist engaged in certain activities that either caused or were intended to cause grave harm to society. It acknowledges that requirement. But then if you look at the paragraph, I think it starts around paragraph 161, where the court have to decide if this defendant in cause or intent to guard grave harm to society, the court seems to make a very quick leap and just seems to assume that any challenge to police authority, in other words, his refusal to stop at the police testament, that that in and of itself constitutes grave harm to society. And you could say, that. Right. Really lowering the requirements the terrorism charge. We normally think of terrorism as planting a bomb, mass shooting, poisoning the water, not simply going through a police checkpoint. I think it's a little more than that, lighting, uh,
6: Professor Peterson. Peterson. He he went through three other checkpoints on his way to the one where he caused the yes, injuries. Yes, I agree. So it was it was really putting put you know, his thumbing his nose at the police, wasn't it?
1: Listen, I have no doubt that he deserves to be convicted of offenses, but is he really a terrorist? I mean, you have to think about the Mm. way terrorism Mm. is usually construed around the world. And it usually involves a certain amount of planning, and you're planning to do some very serious harm, you know, massive killings, a bombing. Somehow, even though this is, I agree, a very serious driving offense, it seems to me that the court has lowered the requirements right. for terrorist activities in this judgment. And, and the reason I think we have to think about this is, let's face it, this is one of those cases where it's kind of hard to be sympathetic to the defendant, but you have to think about the implications of this judgment for future cases. I don't think Hong Kong wants to see garden-variety criminal offenses turned into terrorism. And I, I feel that we have to step back and think about how this judgment and the approach that the court has taken to the elements of the offences that were charged could affect future cases.
5: All right. I, yes, and precisely on that point, I mean, if this judgment stands up on appeal, we, we have to, although it hasn't been announced, we have to presume it, it will be appealed, um, given the first judgment, what are the implications for future cases? There are a lot of defendants waiting, and some on charges that um, might be considered more more serious than the action in this case.
1: Potentially, there are also a number of people who have been charged with incitement to secession simply because they were carrying a banner. And I must say, I think that when one considers that particular message on that banner was carried through. So many protest marches in 2019 and early 2020, as far as I know, it does not incite anyone to do any of the acts that are described in Article 20. Um, and so it seems to me a little bit of a stretch to assume that simply holding up that banner or maybe having it in your backpack um, is the basis for an incitement to secession charge. And yet, when I read the reasons for the verdict in the Tong and case, I could see that being argued by the government. And it does concern me that the court seems to have accepted, in my opinion, rather uncritically, every argument that was made by the government. And this is perhaps one of the reasons why people were so concerned by the fact that Tong did not receive a jury trial. I mean one, we have to think about how the Hong Kong public is going to view the prosecutions under the national security law. And one of the reasons that the common law legal systems around the world have always protected the right to jury trial for serious criminal offenses like this is that there is a sense that when you have a jury of your peers, there's less chance that the government could put pressure on particular judges to accept its viewpoint of the law So now we have a situation where we have the first conviction under the national security law. He was denied a a trial by jury, and he was tried by judges who we know are on a list that the government picked. I think one has to think about public confidence in Hong Kong's legal system, and I think public confidence is going to be hurt by the way this case is tried, and the way the elements of the offences were analysed by by the trial court. That's my
5: concern. Let's bring in a couple of emails from listeners on this topic, and Professor Peterson, perhaps you, you'd like to respond, to, certainly to the second of them. Um, Philip uh, says, What about the police motorcyclist that tried crashing into protesters at high speed in 2019? All he was given was a written letter. No suspension or other disciplinary action taken. And Andrew says... The motorcycle thug got a light sentence in my view. He attacked the police officers and will now pay for his stupidity. He was not taunting them. Anywhere else, he would have been shot. Uh, Professor Peterson, I mean, that that last point from Andrew came up from another listener as well, saying that if you try to do this kind of thing in the U.S., you'd probably be shot by the police. Um, uh, How do you respond to that? Well, I hope you wouldn't be
1: shot. Uh, And I'm certainly not going to defend American police officers because they often respond far too violently. But it doesn't really change my views of the case in the sense that if Mr. Tong was simply prosecuted for assaulting the police officers, right, with his motorcycle, and we got nine years, and if that was in line with what people in Hong Kong normally get, I honestly don't know, for that kind of violent action, I wouldn't be so concerned. Because I agree with you that he deserves to go to jail for what he did. My concern is that the court is saying we would send him to jail for six and a half years, even if he hadn't hit anybody with his motorcycle, because he was flying a banner that we deem to be capable of being interpreted as being a pro-independence banner. And that, in and of itself, would justify six and a half years. So I think your listeners should think about that. You know, if we could separate it from the motorcycle incident, would you still think that six and a half years is a fair sentence for that kind of activity if it was entirely peaceful? And to respond to Philip's comment, I mean, I completely agree, and I was glad that in the first part of the show, Professor Ho agreed that a police officer who crashed into a group of protesters with his motorcycle should also be prosecuted. And that goes back to my point about public confidence in Hong Kong's a system of law, do we still have rule of law? Rule of law requires that the law be applied equally to all, both to people who support the government and work for the government and for people who might oppose the government. And if it's the case that a police officer can drive his motorcycle into a group of peaceful protesters and get off with simply being warned or corrected by his superiors with no criminal prosecution, and yet Mr. Tong gets nine years Then that looks like unequal treatment under the law. And so that raises the questions about rule of law. And this is why I think people have to back away and not just say, oh, the motorcycle thugs, the list deserves what he got. He deserves punishment, yes, but you have to think about the broader implications for Hong Kong's long-term political stability and long-term rule of law. Does the way this case was handled, the way it was prosecuted and the way the elements of these very serious offenses, the way that the court analyzed them, does that contribute to Hong Kong's long-term rule of law or not? And I would say, in my opinion, there are serious concerns. We were Many of us who have been watching the national security law and how it's being implemented were really hoping that Article 4 of the law would... Offer some protection, and indeed, when Carrie Lam speaks to the UN, to so the UN Human Rights Council, she always emphasizes the importance of Article Four. Article Four promises Hong Kong people they will continue to enjoy their freedom of expression as protected under the ICCPR. Well, I can assure you that international norms on freedom of expression and its relationship to national security concerns do not allow someone to be sent to jail for six and a half years okay we'll have to yeah
5: we'll have to break there for the news but stay with us uh, professor Peason will stay with us and um lawrence mar will also be joining us after news where we'll we continue in discussion on the, the verdict and sentence in hong kong's first national security trial uh later on in the program we're also going to be talking to a swimming teammate of uh, double olympic gold um, medal winner sure Sh- Silver. Sorry, silver of course, the double silver, still very impressive for hoy Absolutely. Uh, so we do email us at I Those Topics. Uh back chatter uh, the weather forecast, sunny and a few showers, hot with a maximum temperature of thirty two degrees, currently twenty nine degrees. We'll be back in three minutes a swimming teammate of Siobhan Hawhey about her double Olympic success. If you've got any emails on any thoughts on either topics, do email us at backchat at That's backchat at Or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, backchat on rthk radio free and leave a comment there. Uh, let me try and bring in a selection of comments from listeners. Uh, firstly, on other topics from today's show uh, relating to um, uh, various programmes uh, last week. Um, Neil says, James on the parking scam, of course this was the, um, uh, the parking uh, scam that's been going on in uh, Kowloon for 20, 30 years, which the police busted and made a lot of news about uh, a week or so ago. Um, uh, Neil says, James Ockenden took, takes the easy route and blames the police for not taking action. The police have many tasks and misuse of metered parking spaces is just one of hundreds. James should be congratulating the police for taking action. It shows the police have not ignored the situation, resources permitting. The main issue that causes the abuse of metered parking spaces are low parking fees at metered spaces, inadequate provision of parking spaces overall, fines for illegal use of metered parking spaces are too low, and most importantly, inadequate regulations. All of these, all, all four issues are squarely in the realm of the Transport Department. The first three are well documented. One area that continuously fails to be mentioned are the regulations. In Hong Kong, there is no regulation to prevent a vehicle to park in a metered parking space and feed the meter all day. In the UK, to ensure metered parking spaces can be used by drivers, rather than a selfish few and prevent control by criminal gangs, they have introduced regulations. And uh, uh, Neil then sets out the precise regulations in the UK. Such regulations and others have previously been recommended to staff from the Transport Department, but never taken forward. Introduction of the above regulations with minor amendments to address Hong Kong's situation i.e. not return to a metered space on the same road in one hour and controlling renting a public parking, car park space, whether metered or not, to be an offence in itself without the need to prove conspiracy. These type of regulations would go some way to prevent abuse of metered parking spaces and give an extra string to the police's bow. James' laudable efforts would have more substance if he were to regula- recommend new regulations to tackle the issue, work in partnership with the police rather than continuously sniping at them and put pressure where it, and he should put pressure where it's needed, most on the transport department. Uh, just one more email on uh, other topics, and we'll return to today's topic. Um, on Friday's Back Chat, we were talking about uh, climate change, and we had a caller, Dan, who uh, uh, was uh, d- perhaps uh, questioning whether climate change is um, is taking place. Um, we've received a number of emails uh, criticising backchat for airing the call from uh, Dan. As uh, the emails are all basically making the same theme, uh, let me read the uh, longest of the Free emails from uh, Richard II, uh, but uh, similar messages also coming in from uh, Tommy and Alan. Uh, Richard II says, Frankly, the show for for That's What It Was on climate change was appallingly mediated. Danny Giddings let caller Dan with his weather station ramble on with his contrarian theories because, surprise, surprise, he found something on the internet that tens of thousands of Earth and atmospheric scientists had somehow overlooked and Gittings clearly knows not whether Dan, what Dan was claiming was correct or fallacious. Almost everything caller Dan uttered has been extensively shown ad nauseum to be incorrect, but Gittings let him ramble on with his beliefs, talking over Dr. Lamb, who's an expert. All jolly fun radio, I'm sure. But as Isaac Asimov and many others have said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm sorry, but your opinion is not just as valid as the overwhelming weight of evidence on a topic. The laws of physics don't care what you believe. The argument that climate change is used to threaten populations so they can be controlled is a Trumpian conspiracy theory. The evidence is consistent, overwhelming and irrefutable to date that the climate is becoming destabilised as a h- result of human activities, primarily the burning of fossil fuels. And unless this activity is quickly halted, the climate, w- with which make it increasingly difficult to us to survive as a civilization. everyone under 40 should demand action now. For presenters to continue to allow this kind of inf- misinformation to be repeated is embarrassing and frankly hazardous. If a caller was claiming that COVID vaccines inject a computer microchip that enables Bill Gates to control the population, he would be shut down and laughed off air. But somehow when it comes to the topic of climate destabilisation, any old rubbish is allowed. Next time you have a show on a scientific topic, can the presenters at least do their homework and ideally be specialists on the subject so they can at least keep the conspiracy theorists for continuing to muddy the waters when what we need is clarity? It's highly irresponsible to do otherwise. As a professor at Hong Kong U for close to 40 years and having taught the topic of climate destabilization impacts for almost 15 years, I think I know a little about it but hey, I don't know own a little weather station. That's Richard II. Well, okay. thank you very much, Richard. I suspect we are going to get some more calls or at least e- emails it's, in... It's <laughs> to put you in your place, Dan. <laughs> in response there. Now, let's return uh, to uh, today's topic. A number of emails uh, uh, coming in and a couple of them are addressing uh, specifically to Professor Carol Peterson, who was with us in the first half of the show. Um, so perhaps you'd like to respond to those, Professor Peterson. Uh, first of all, uh, Eric, how come a member of the public drives um in, into people gets nine years but a policeman does the same he gets a warning and no prosecution um s says why is everyone comparing to the u.s there the public is armed as well um and responding sp- uh, specifically on uh, i guess your guest from hawaii carol peterson just described driving a motorbike into policemen as a garden variety offense wow um, and then uh, one more about Professor Peterson, and we'll give her a chance to respond. Uh, Jay says, Professor Peterson always expresses liberal opinions, always critical of the Hong Kong government. She obviously has her own political agenda suggestive of a lack of objectivity. She argues that motorbike bike boys acts fells far short of terrorism. This is a naive and short-sighted opinion. We only have to look at those vehicle ramming incidents we saw in France and Britain to see how Motorbike Boy was committing an act of terrorism. Motorbike Boy is lucky to get off with such a light sentence. Let this be a deterrent to anyone who wishes to destabilise Hong Kong. Professor Peterson? Okay, I've
1: tried writing them all down. I mean, Eric's point. <laughs> there are a couple, a couple
5: more in a similar I vein think. as well I didn't get to. Yeah, sure, sure.
1: Um... The point about my comments a garden variety i don't mean that it was minor offense and i apologize if if it was construed that way it's a serious offense and i think he should do done for it what i mean is it's not a national security issue it's not a terrorism and when you can commit a very serious offense like murder for example and but it's not necessarily terrorism and Terrorism does have a very specific definition, and the court does consider, for example, political motives, which is one of the elements. But under the National Security Law, as written, the prosecution is also required to prove that the defendant either caused grave harm to society or intended to cause grave harm to society. And... The point I was trying to make is that if you look at paragraphs 162 to 163 of the judgment, I think the court just kind of leaps to that conclusion. In other words, seems to have concluded that if you physically harm any person, then automatically if you have a political motive for that, that becomes terrorism. Now, some people might defend that as as a definition of terrorism, but I don't think that's the way most countries... Define terrorism, and I don't think that's the way the United Nations Security Council views terrorism as well. And so, to me, what I mean by this is that the court has accepted, I think, rather uncritically, the government's argument that this fits, fits the definition of terrorism. I don't think this young man was capable, really, of the kind of plotting that we normally associate with terrorism.
6: Right, so um, something missing in, in my
1: the. Own the Hong Kong government. I don't think I am necessarily always critical of the Hong Kong government. There are some things the government has done that I have supported over the years, but I do think that here the government does seem to be pushing for a very broad, the broadest possible interpretation and application of the national security law, in part because I think the government gets certain procedural advantages when they do so. When they put something under the category of the national security law, it's very easy for them to deny the person bail, right, because of the special provisions in the national security law and to get a trial without a jury. So that's why I think Hong Kong people should consider carefully do you really want to see so many, when I say garden variety, non offenses that might be very serious but are suddenly under the umbrella of national security offenses because I think the court and the government are pushing for very broad interpretations of the offences that are stated in the National Security
6: Law. You think it's too easy to hide under the umbrella of terrorism uh, other serious offences, without proving it?
1: Well, I think that the definition of terrorism in the National Security Law is also already broader than what, what I have seen in other jurisdictions. But on top of that, it seems to me that even with that language, the government is pushing for the broadest possible interpretation.
6: And the government—I was
1: particularly surprised by the court's interpretation of that Mm. "grave harm to society" language. It seems to me that the court just kind of leaped and considered, well, if you if you collided with some police officers, then automatically that you were intending grave harm to society at large. And I'm really not sure that that logical.
6: What about the attempt by the government to get the court to take into account mainland sentences for similar uh, activities?
1: I'm really not sure why the government is pushing for that. It seems to me that it's getting very long. If this case is any example, it's going to get very long sentences even without having the court right. do that. And the court said uh, no anyway. the sentencing guidelines hmm. under
5: the national security laws are, are pretty harsh. Okay. Also joining us, who's uh, been waiting patiently, uh, Lawrence Ma. Lawrence Ma is the chair of the Hong Kong Legal Exchange Foundation. Uh, good morning, Mr. Ma. Welcome back to Back Chat.
3: Good morning, Danny and uh,
5: Mike. Now, I'm not sure if you heard not, not just Professor Carol Peterson, but also we had Professor Holok Sang on the show earlier, who was saying that um, although he understood the reasons for it, he thought uh, this sentence was a bit a bit on the harsh side. What, what, what's your opinion? Well, I mean, I can
3: only go by the what, what is said in the law. I mean, the, it, it says that, that is for um, succession... Um, anyone who, who actively participated, what, which, which is what uh, the court found, instead of a um, the, the guy who was committing an offence or grave nature, because there are two diff- different levels. If you uh, commit a crime on a grave level, you're, you're uh, susceptible to imprisonment for life or, or le- not less than 10 years. But at one level lower is that someone who actively participated in the offence, and that would be um, not less than 3, but no more than 10. So, so I think that that the court has actually go according to the law i mean i i, I, I can 't see that um, I, I see the explanation by the court that um, it was it, it wasn 't too much of a grave nature, but it, uh, the court satisfied it was a, he, he did actively participate in succession. That was the first offense The second of, sentencing for the second offense is the terrorism offense which um, of course the the court was not satisfying was not satisfying that uh, Tong actually caused a serious bodily injury death or significant loss of public property so that uh, that of course that uh, he was not sentenced under the higher limb but he was sentenced under the lower limb which is the other circumstances limb um the higher limb would be uh, life imprisonment or not less than 10 years the lower limb other circumstances would be um not le- uh, not less than three years with but not uh, no, sorry, less not no less than three years but more than 10 years
6: with the first offense of this kind do you think the court might have spelled out a bit more how they reached some of their conclusions and how they had addressed the ICCPR?
3: Well, I, I don't think the um, ICCPR actually came into
6: play.
5: You're quite uh, right. It's no, sorry, it's, it's not mentioned in the judgment, and Professor Peterson was in the first half program uh, making that point that as it is mentioned in the national oh, security law, why, why didn't the, ju- the judges take account of it?
3: Well, I mean, it, it, the, the Defence Council has, at least have, have to raise it first. I'm not sure whether in the trial decision, the Defence Council actually raised that um, to, to um, have a constitutional test of, of the constitutionality of the National Security Law Offences against ICCPR.
5: IC I, I don't think that's where Professor is still here, Wait, but... you, I, you I, say that's, that's,
1: that's not what
5: I was arguing. You're suggesting, I was suggesting that
1: they should have used it in a constitutional challenge, the Court of Final Appeal has said that the national security law should be construed and applied to the extent possible to comply with the And My point was that I think the court should have at least addressed that issue when it considered the elements of the incitement to secession offense. And, by the way, he was not convicted under Article 21, Lawrence. He was convicted under Article 20. Uh, not under Article 20. He was convicted under Article 21. He was not convicted of secession, but rather of incitement to secession. So he wasn't liable for life imprisonment at all. Order, it's a different yeah,
3: sentence. Well, the regime is the same for, for, for both. But to come back to that question, I mean, if, if there is an ICCPR challenge, I would have thought that, um, I think it Article 25, uh, 25 of the ICCPR, which was uh, applicable to Hong Kong via Article thirty, 30 nine two of the Basic Law. I think that one of the exceptions is national security, um, uh, public pu- public safety, national security and, and, and public health, that would be an, ex- um, an exception to the general uh, protection of freedom of expression and freedom of assembly. So, I mean, if, if, if Defence Council kindly take that up at trial, I, I would have thought the court would have dealt with it. I, I, on top of my head, I can't recall that was being the case. Um, if, if It is now being on appeal. I'm not sure whether that point can be raised as a new point, not taken um, at trial.
5: How about the point that we asked Professor Peterson about just now, about the, the Government Council specifically argued that um, mainland court uh, sentencing um, decisions should be taken into account when the Hong Kong court sentenced, which is well, something it, the court did not accept?
3: I don't think that is um, too, much, too appropriate. because. I mean, we are two different regimes. I mean, I mean, the the, the, uh, the prosecution can raise whatever arguments he he or she wants to wanted to raise, but um, operating under two different systems, um, I, I don't think it's of much relevance. But of course, if 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 the national security law, Chinese provisions mirror closely with the Chinese mainland national security law, that might be the reason why the. Prosecution Council raised uh, those cases, uh, presidents, as persuasive uh, uh, decisions for the court to, to, but, to, to, but to read.
6: To deliberately reach out and say you should take into account mainland sentences uh, seems to be a very hard line position yeah. from the government.
3: Yes, yes. But I mean, but, but, uh, you, you have to understand that if you read the Chinese national security law, I think it's quite similar to the Chinese version of our own national security law. So the, I wouldn't be too surprised if, 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 if they go on that um, uh, that step. And, well, uh, and, yeah. Luckily, <laughs> but, the but court said no. Yeah.
6: Yeah, the court just said, no, we get, we're in Hong Kong, we're going to do it, according to the it, Hong Kong system.
3: I think that's, that's enough. I mean, uh, if, if, of, although they are unprecedented, of course, the prosecutor is trying to mend the hole of, of there's no precedent of this sort of, fe- of offences and but of course the, the 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 provisions are pretty clear on 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 how to sentence uh, uh convicted offenders um under the law i mean so so I think the court is uh, correct in probably not not reading the mainland judgments seeing them as
5: unnecessary okay let me bring in uh, one final comment uh, from uh, a listener on this theme and then maybe we'll go to a final round of comments from our guests um, uh, bob says no doubt there will be arguments on both sides for many weeks and months but the real crime here is mentioned on page five of the judge's findings and quotes from the judgment in relation to the commission of the present offenses the defendant's father said he was easily influenced by politics and it was bad publication that led to his wrong act while the defendants must uh, consider um, him to be affected, uh, the defendants uh, aren't. Sorry, consider him to be affected by some people in the society and the media's forced reporting. It's the role of the media, not to mention their backers in academia and the legal profession, in glorifying those taking part in the riots who should be taking responsibility for this young person's sentence, rather than trying to argue against it. One wonders how they sleep at night. Uh, Professor Peterson, your closing thoughts.
1: Well, first of all, I've never advocated violence ever, and I've always condemned it. But secondly, I think we need to correct one thing that Lauren said, which is the ICCPR says that you can place some restrictions on freedom of expression in the name of national security, but it is not a blanket exception at all. And there are a whole host of decisions from the UN Human Rights Committee and also the European Court of Human Rights on this on this point. You don't get to Stifle all political speech, particularly nonviolent speech, simply by saying, oh, it's necessary for national security. You have to show a genuine need in a democratic society for that restriction. And my point is, I honestly don't know. I wasn't in the file whether the ICCCR would argue, but my point is that Particularly when someone is only charged with incitement to secession, which means no act, no planning, not planning anything to succeed, but rather just saying something that the court, that the government claims could incite someone to commit an act of secession. It's very important. The defense should argue that the law should be construed and applied so as to comply with the ICCC law. Okay,
5: thank you. We have to wrap this up, but uh, Lawrence Ma, do you just want to very quickly respond?
1: Oh, I just have a quick
3: glance of the um, trial judgment and, and see that uh, the defense counsel has not even consider the, uh, Professor uh, Peterson's uh, constitutional point. I mean, that was a valid point, okay, I think yeah. the Senior Council would have to get that
5: up. Okay, thank you very much, So That's one for another case. Thank you very much indeed uh, to uh, Professor Carol Peterson, who's been with us from the start of the show, Professor of Law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and former Director of the Centre for Comparative and Public Law at the University of Hong Kong, and also joining us in the second part of the show, Lawrence Ma. Lawrence Ma is the Chair of the Hong Kong Legal Exchange Foundation. Moving on, the, 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 what we are all all watching last week, of course, was the uh, <laughs> extraordinary performance by Hong Kong. We've never seen a performance like this in the Olympics ever. Um, and of course, a large part of that, I mean two out of Hong Kong's 3 medals, is down to um, um, swimming champion Siobhan Hawhey, who sadly had to pull out of uh, further races over the weekend with a back injury. Uh, somebody who knows Siobhan well and has trained with her in the past and um, represented Hong Kong in the Olympics in the past and swimming as well, is Claudia Lau who now joins us. Claudia Lau, good morning.
7: Good morning.
5: How do you feel about your friend's success?
7: Uh, it still gives me chills. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited for just Hong Kong swimming and you know every athlete in Hong Kong um, performing in such a high level at the Olympics.
5: Do you, uh, do you think it's going to encourage uh, more people to take up competitive swimming in Hong Kong?
7: Um, for sure not just competitive swimming but just you know people participating in sports um, not necessarily at the competitive level, but just go and enjoy. Go to a pool, just go for a swim. That's good enough as well.
6: When you were good morning. When you were training uh, with her, did you did you get any impression from Shabon that there was some special quality she had?
7: Um, she's a very uh, persistent swimmer, and she really, you know, gives her best in every single practice. Um, But more and more so, she's a really good and supportive teammate. She always cheer on teammates uh, during hard practices. Um, She doesn't just focus on herself, but she really brings the team forward and moves the team forward. Um, I think that's the best quality anyone can ask for.
6: Right. And the the discipline to undergo such long training sessions uh, alongside schoolwork, because you must have been in the same position.
7: Yeah, we're all in the same position, but we are very lucky to have, you know, great support from coaches, teammates, um, former swimmers that we can look up to, and people, you know, pass on experiences to us, how to balance swimming and um, schoolwork, and we got great support from the University of Michigan. So um, that really helped us to excel in both swimming and academics. That was
6: was my next point I wanted to ask you about. A lot of parents seem to think if you're doing sports, you're not studying hard enough. But I think the message from Siobhan is you can do both.
7: Yeah, it's definitely possible to do both. Um, To be a student athlete, we always said student come first and then athlete is the second part of it. I think um, being a swimmer, having the discipline, it really helped us to focus in our schoolwork as well. And the schoolwork, you know, you get to know other people from other discipline, and the things that you learn from them really transfer into swimming as well. It opens up your entire perspective in life and in your sports as well. So um, it really goes hand in hand. I don't think... You know, myself personally or some of our
5: swimmers would just give up schoolwork for sports. One story that uh, I know you've mentioned in other interviews, I'm sure our listeners would uh, like to hear about as well. This incredible story of you and Siobhan training in freezing or near freezing lakes in Michigan (laughs) when the swimming pools were uh, closed during COVID. Tell us a bit more about that.
7: Um, I didn't train with her when uh, we were at the lake. Like She was with another great Hong Kong swimmer, Jamie, who's on the 45100 medley relay team as well. But then uh, we always train really hard at Michigan um, because the weather is super cold. So we usually go to practice at 5.30 in the morning. And afterwards, um, the sun just rises and our hair is still wet, so when we go outside, um, our hair always frees. I mean, it's pretty normal to us as our day-to-day, but looking back, it sounds like really crazy. But, you know, it's just, what you got to do to be an athlete at
5: that level talking about what you have to do to be an athlete in this these these days of covid and travel restrictions there's an email from a listener which uh, perhaps you you might have some thoughts on uh, peter says uh, listening to your show on how to make olympic medalists, i couldn't help but link this to the difficulties young hong kong sports people have been facing to travel under our government's covid restrictions I'm both chair of a major international youth sports event funded by the government and president of a youth feeder class association. The sport in question is one of uh, the HKSI's elite sports. The annual event is designed to inspire young sports people to pursue more sport. And this year, one of our graduates qualified for the Tokyo Games. Despite this apparent success, for two years now, the event has been cancelled due to COVID. On top of this, our youth team have been unable to travel overseas overseas, As a result, a generation of young potential sports people have been denied the opportunity of exposure to international competition, both imported to the event and as a result of overseas travel, all of which has affected their development as young people and athletes. I hope the Hong Kong government can recognize this and create mechanisms similar to those given to the privileged business elite to allow grassroots sports people to travel more often. Furthermore, I hope that the old people who've been reluctant to get vaccinated can be made aware what damage this hesitation is doing to their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Government policy alone will not be enough. Um, Claudia Lau, how about that issue of um, travel restrictions, the difficulty of participating in sports events in this time of COVID?
2: I
7: think it truly affects, honestly, everyone in the world, not just in Hong Kong, just athletes all around. Um, I'm pretty sure it really affects The younger generation, I do believe it, because the support is less, and the younger generation are like the future, you know, young stars, but fortunately with um, the technology we have now, you can, you know, do Zoom classes, you can, you know, even interact with athletes over the sea. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
7: I have friends that are, like, talking to overseas swimmers daily, you know, chit-chatting. It's really doesn't limit our like communication Um, we share and you know we don't have teammates just in Hong Kong but all over the world so it's a great opportunity for them to reach out through technology to learn from other people as well.
6: Sure. Talking to them and see even if you can see them on the telephone um, (laughs) it's not really a substitute for direct competition I guess that's that's really valuable.
7: Yeah it's really valuable but I've seen other places like triathlons, they did virtual races, so they, through technology, they use virtual races to race against each other, although we are at different poles or like different countries, they do have a way to compete with each other. Um, but it's not as popular in Hong Kong right now. I just, I hope, you know, COVID can get better and people can travel. So the younger generation will get
5: more exposure as soon as possible as well. Okay, thank you very much. That's Claudia Lau, for, former uh, competitor for Hong Kong in the 2016 Swimming Olympics, talking about the story that's lifted, I think, all of us really, hasn't it, Mike? Um, so to give the last word to a couple of more emails from our listeners, uh, Mary on another sort of Olympic-related theme, called, Email T-shirt Tuhar, says... All the hoo ha about t shirts, correct design of Bahenia emblem when the focus should be on comfort of and support for athletes. Someone should remind the loyal trash of Deng Xiaoping's well known advice it doesn't matter whether a cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. At Sports Fixtures, that would translate to medals. Lastly, Bowen, on the main topic today, says people would naturally contrast the charge of terrorism against Tong Yin Kit against the treatment of the police motor cop who rammed into protesters on 11th November 2019, which has been mentioned, and that of the taxi driver who rammed into a crowd of protesters on 6th of October in the same year, injuring a young woman seriously. That incident can still be seen on YouTube. In the latter case, former legislator Ted Hoy sought to bring a private prosecution against the taxi driver, who was promised donations of 525 thousand dollars by safeguard hong kong and visited by uh, CPPCC delegate kennedy wong and stan linton with gifts uh, reportedly given to his daughter the magistrate reportedly agreed there was a prima facie case of dangerous driving as the taxi, ta- taxi driver and indeed summoned him for a hearing before being stopped by theresa Chang. Such intervention by the Secretary of Justice used to be extremely rare. The colonial administration having previously only aborted two private prosecutions out of 52 and was given detailed reasons, which were not given by Theresa Chang. Inconsistent application of the law, real or apparent, would obviously damage confidence of the state of rule of law in our city. Thank you very much, Bowen. That's it for today. Uh, the weather for uh, thank you very much, Mike.
6: At least it wasn't COVID. Today.
5: <laughs> Especially for you. Uh, the weather forecast: sunny and a few showers, hot with a maximum temperature of thirty-two degrees. Currently twenty-nine degrees. Relative humidity eighty-two percent. We'll be back tomorrow. Over the past two years, Hong Kong faced severe challenges. Facts have proved that with the support of the central government, Hong Kong can withstand any test and the whole community fights against the epidemic together.
6: It's time now for Hong Kong to forge ahead with renewed perseverance. The 2021 Policy Address Public Consultation. Your views are welcome.
5: For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk.
2: RTHK News.
5: The News with Suzanne, Suzanne Lavender.
2: Retail and catering sector representatives say shops and restaurants saw business rise by as much as 100% yesterday after the government distributed the first $2000 installment of its spending voucher scheme chairwoman of the Re- retail management association Tse, said wide a wide range of shops such as furniture electrical appliances and clothing stores had all benefited the man leading america's anti-covid effort says he doesn't expect any return to lockdowns despite the growing risk of COVID-19 infections posed by the Delta variant. Dr Anthony Fauci said a sufficient proportion of the population was now vaccinated to prevent the US getting into the situation it was in last winter. And in Australia, more than three million doses of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine remain sitting on the government shelf, either unallocated to any state or territory or not required. Prime Minister Scott Morrison wants 70% of the eligible adults. Vaccinated, fully vaccinated by the end of the year, but officials say that will require a lift in. Vac-